Our sermon text this morning is John 15, 18 to 27. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they did not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen me and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, if you haven't turned there already, go ahead and do that. And while you're doing that, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that you have the words of life. There's nowhere else that we can turn, but we come to your word again and again and again. Daily, God, weekly, we come to your word, knowing that it is only in your word. It's not in our own strength. It's certainly not anywhere else in the world that we can find life. God, it is only in your word. So we ask that you would work in us to cause your word to come alive in us is only something that you can do. And so we come and humble ourselves and prostrate ourselves before you and ask that you would do that. God, give us life. Even though we hate you now, some of us in this room hate you now. God, give us life. And let us cling to Christ through all things. Amen. <clears throat> Hiriel Onada joined the Japanese Liberation Army, or Imperial Army, that sounds better, Imperial Army in 1942. And he was sent to the, the Philippines, just a little south and a little uh, west of Japan. And he was sent on to Lubang Island. And he was given the orders, disrupt everything that you can. The Americans are going to be coming. Make it difficult for them. And unlike the other Japanese soldiers, you may not take your own life. Don't surrender and do not take your own life. And he didn't. And he kept fulfilling his orders. 1945 rolled around and we had... American victory and leaflets were dropped on this gentleman and his companions. And they looked at him and they thought, ah, oh, it's 
propaganda. So they stayed in the mountains and they kept fighting this guerrilla warfare. Unfortunately, he killed something like 30 civilians over the next 30 years. He kept fighting. In 1972, he was still burning down granaries, still fighting this war again and again. And somebody went and found him and talked to him. And he, they, they said, like, come on, let, like, it's done. Let's, let's move on here. And he refused to surrender. So eventually, they had to get his old commanding officer, bring him from Japan to the Philippines, and then he finally surrendered after, after 30 years, after the conclusion of the war. In March of 1974, he finally surrendered. Now, you might look at such a man like this as, as perhaps a little uh, obtuse. Doesn't quite understand what's happening around here, around him. But in reality, the man's brilliant. He's brilliant. He's figured it out. He sees the world for what it really is. The world around you hates you. They all hate you. And they want to destroy you. And just like him, don't believe a word that tells you otherwise. That's the same thing we see in our text here. Christ has told us that the world around us, they will hate us and they will reject us because they have hated him and because they have rejected him. It's only natural. So that's the main idea. Is that the world hates you. The world hates you. Welcome to redemption if you're new. The world hates you. In Christ. Because you are in Christ. So how are we going to see that flowing here? You see this in verses 18 and 19. You're going to see the world hates you. Why? Because you're not one of them. The world is going to hate you because you, know, you are no longer among them, with them. But no, you're among Christ's people. You are in Christ. So the world is going to hate you because you're no longer with them. That's point number one. Number two, verses 20 through 25. You're going to see that the world hates you. And you should expect that. Don't be surprised at all when that happens. They hated your Messiah. It only makes sense that they're going to hate you as well. Finally here, verses 26 and 27, you're going to see that the world hates you. But even in the midst of that, you will continue the work of God in the world, bringing the gospel to them. So, the world hates you. The world hates you because you're not in them and with them and among them. The world hates you, and you should expect it. And the world hates you, and you're going to continue the work of God by the Holy Spirit. Over these last couple of weeks, Adam had these blessed verses filled with love uh, for each other. You see this, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and I in him. And you will bear much fruit. And he said, my father is glorified by you bearing much fruit, so even bear much more fruit. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my father's love. You can see this eternal communion that's been going on between God the Father and God the Son. And now as Christians, we're being invited into this love and abiding in Christ who then abides in the Father. 
It's just dripping. The, the tax is dripping with this sweet dew of love. But what happens when you take the world and then you bring them back into this? What happens then? Well, that's when you get our, our text. Verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore, therefore the world hates you. If there's any comfort knowing that billions of people hate you, it can be taken in the fact that you are not alone. Before they hated you, they hated Christ. John 1. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. He came into his own, and those who were of his own, they did not receive him. He created the world, he goes into the world, and what do they do? They end up hating him in return, don't they? And then this goes on through his ministry. You go to John chapter, go to John chapter 5. What happens? For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. He was a man, 38 years, lame. What's their response? Is that they want to persecute him. Go on to John chapter 7. You see the, this, the division occur, occurred in the crowd because of him, and some wanted to seize him. And eventually they do. He gives himself up to them. They in their sin delight in killing our Messiah. Think about it. Why? Why? Why would they hate our Messiah? When you frame the question, you have to realize it's not just the Pharisees that hate him. They're the ones who have this play with the Sadducees and eventually killing him. But why do they hate him? And it's partly because he's associated with, you see this in Luke, he's associated with the outcasts of society. That's partly part of the reason. Part of the reason is partly because he's not playing with the traditional boundaries of the Jewish society. He's pressing them. He's eating with people that shouldn't be eaten with. He's doing things on Sabbath that, not the Mosaic law, but their traditional law says it shouldn't be happening. But this is not what drove them to crucify him. 
It was not his overt love for everyone. It was not his acts of charity. It was not that he made the blind man see or, or healed the lame man. That's not what it was. They wanted to crucify him because he made it very clear and he showed them, I am one with the Father. I am God. They couldn't have that. Think of it this way. The world's always been in rebellion against God. Right away, the angels are fallen and cast out of heaven. Humanity, even in the garden, we don't last very long till we are walking in rebellion against God. So thus, it's inevitable that all of those who are raging in their animosity against God, when they see that Christ is not just being a kind man, a moral teacher or anything like that, but when he is healing people and saying that he is God, that all of their venom that has been raging against God will now be turned against him. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage in the in people's plotting in vain against the king? And the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Ever since the beginning, nearly, all of creation has been in rebellion against God. They hate him. They hated his anointed. And when you are pulled out from amongst them and then you are then placed in Christ, it only makes sense that they will hate you as well. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as their own. If you were with them, they wouldn't hate you because you're with them. They would know you are one of them and they would actually love you. They would love you as one of their own. But don't fall out of line. You have to ask yourself, does the world love you? Does the world love you? Are they comfortable? Is the world, are they comfortable with you around them? Do they actually think that you're one of them? We, we try to be coy and play these double games. So we're over here with the world and then we kind of take the edge off a little bit. And we let them think that we're actually with them. And then we come to church or community group or men's Bible study or something like that. And then we switch and then, oh no, no. We're in Christ, and then we try to make these people think that we're actually with them. And there's only one reason that you would be playing this double game. You want to swim in the waters of the world because you want what they have to offer. Thirty years of Mother Mayo, and you have a nice pension waiting for you. Or you can't possibly replicate the, the income that you make in the world. 
So you'll go along with the foolish games because we as Christians are so often unequally yoked. So you go along with these little, I know, I know, I know how it goes. So you go along with these little trainings, you sign off for them, you play the stupid pronoun game and lie to people about who the God has made them to be. And, we, we, and then we, we try to be sophisticated and couch it in terms of, oh, no, I want to be strategic so I can proclaim the gospel to them. No, just be honest. You want to swim in the waters of the world because you want what they have to offer you. In reality, we just want what they have because we're not content with the eternal riches of God's grace that we have in Christ. So we read Genesis and we think, how foolish are you? How foolish could you be, Adam and Eve, to partake of this fruit? You look at it and it's pleasing to the eye. Why would you do that? Then the next day we're in the world making those same choices again and again and again and again. Lord, help us. But those who have been chosen. Verse 19. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. But those who have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world. You're not of the world. You're not. It shouldn't be comfortable. This should feel very comfortable. The world should not. Therefore, the world hates you. And that's how the story goes. Cain kills Abel. Lamech sings about how many men he kills. Pharaoh throws the sons of the Hebrew women into the Nile River. Moab, the Edomites, Syria, the Philistines, Assyrians, Greeks, Romans, the Babylonians, they all have it in common that they sought to kill God's people. And even now, throughout the Middle East, our brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters, are constantly killed. Even in Nigeria, Muslims coming down from the north, killing Christians who are gathering on Sunday and are vulnerable because they refuse to give up worshiping together. And they are killed for it. And their towns are burned down. And they wander. It's not just there. It's North Korea, Pakistan, India, China, Sri Lanka, Iran, Philippines, and Burma. All of these places the world hates. The world is hating those whom God has chosen out of this world and put down. But not here? Not here? Is it, is it just the Minnesota nice? Is that what it is? Or are we like chameleon Christians and we blend in so well with the world that they don't even know we're not one of them, so we profess. So brothers and sisters, the world will hate you. Because you're not one of their own. 
And I, I get it. I know it. it. It's hard. It's where we were born. This is the waters we swam in. And we've been pulled out of them, though. We were in the world, but we loved the world, and we wanted nothing to do with God. And in the midst of our sin, God saved us and has pulled us out. God, in his loving kindness, has drawn us to himself. Christ put it this way. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when the world reviles you and persecutes you and speaks all sort of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And even as they persecuted the prophets before you. So, in our joyous text here, what have we seen so far? Number one. The world hates you because you're not of the world. You're not one of them. Don't act like it. Don't try to glean from their fields. No, you're not of the world. The world will hate you because you're not one of them. Number two, we're going to see that the world hates you. Yeah, and you should expect it. You should see it coming. Let's go back to the text here. Verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me, God the Father. And if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and the, my father. Verse 25, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Brothers and sisters, if we're servants of Christ... If we are filled with the Spirit of Christ, if the fragrance of Christ is emanating out of us, as we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, if we are animated by the same love that propelled Christ, doesn't it make sense that the world would look upon us the same way that they looked upon Christ? If we are less than Christ, if we are His servants, will they not treat us with even less dignity than they taught than they treated Christ? Absolutely. Says Christ, he was blamed for everything. In the same way the Christians throughout all of history have been blamed for everything. Tertullian wrote uh, 160 to 230-ish. Um, first couple generations of Christians, he wrote this defense of the Christian faith and he wrote this. Those who are reviling the Christians, he's speaking of them, who cry out against innocent blood, offering as a justification 
their enmity, the baseless plea. They think the Christians, the cause of every public disaster, of every affliction with which the people are visited. If the Tiber, the river through Rome, if the Tiber rises as high as the city walls, if the Nile does not send its water over the fields, if the heaven gives no rain, if there's an earthquake, if there's a famine or pestilence, straight away the cry is, away with Christians to the lions. Whatever ill is befalling them in the world, you are at fault. No rain, too much rain. Famine, drought, floods. Too hot, it's too cold. But you see this in verse 21. But all of these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Also in verse 23, he who, whoever hates me, hates my father also. You see the connection here. Christ is, works out these glorious works amongst the men, amongst the women. He is the light of the world coming into them. And they see that he is one with the Father. And because they hate God the Father, they will inevitably hate him. Well, if we are in Christ... Surely the venom of that they have towards God the Father displayed in Christ will also be poured out amongst us. We should not be surprised when this happens. There's two types of people. There's two types of fathers here. In the world here, they have a father. The devil, Satan. And then we have our Father over here. Through Christ, we have our Heavenly Father. Though we love them, they can only hate us. We have the nature of God within us because we are new creation. So we love them. They have the nature of their Father as well, which is hatred and evil. Do not be surprised when that spews out over towards us who are the children of God. Augustine, another 5th century Christian, he said there's the, the city of God and the city of man. And it's not only because they have separate fathers, but they have a different love. In the city, in the world, the city of man, in the world, they're animated, they're driven by this love of self. And then in the city of God that kind of dwells closely, but eternally separated from the city of man. In this, this city of God, we're animated, we're driven by, not love of self, but love towards God. And the city of man will see that, and they will hate it. Thus it is fulfilled in Christ, the one whom loved the world, that he was hated in return. Thus they hated him. They hated me, he says, without a cause. From Psalm 35, also in Psalm 69. So these Jewish elites, sometimes, okay, sometimes in the world you have the most religious people, though. And these men of the world, the Pharisees, they hated him without cause. 
just like David was hated with, with baseless reason, so now the world is hating Christ. What did he do? Verse 22, he, he spoke to them. He spoke to them, to the, the words of life. He showed them the living water. And then the works that, then you also see, if I had not done the works amongst them, the works, and no one else did. He shows them the works of genuine love. And of course, they hate him. They hate him in return. All right. So the world hates you because you're not of them. The world hates you and you should expect it. But now we're going to see that the world hates you and you still witness to the world in the midst of their hate. Let's go to these last two verses, 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Verse 27. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. You see here the, the Spirit of God eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son, thanks to some monks in Toledo, if you want to read your church history. And the Spirit of God then resting in you, being in you, is going to compel you to be a witness to those who hate you. The Spirit of Christ will carry you through all of the hatred of the world. It, you will endure, you will last, you won't succumb to it if you are in Christ. And through you, he will be a witness to redeem all of God's people. So, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? I have briefly, I've reneged on my application for months and months, so I'm going to make it all up in one sermon. A brief, ten points of application. You thought we were done. No, ten points of application. Here we go. Number one, stop seeking affirmation from people who hate you. They're just not into you. And that's okay. Stop going to the world seeking affirmation. You're filled with the spirit of the living God. You're in Christ. And through Christ, you'll be able to go back to God the Father and dwell with him forever and ever. Behold, waves upon waves of revealed glory coming to you. And like a dog returning to his own vomit, we go back to the world and seek their affirmation. Number one, stop seeking affirmation from those who hate you. Two, don't be surprised when it gets personal. The world is not just some blob out there. It's made up of individuals who will personally and individually hate you as an individual in Christ. Don't just have a category of the world and their hatred. Don't be surprised when it gets personal. Number three, take comfort and delight in your sufferings. What a delight it is to suffer, to partake of the sufferings that were hurled at our Messiah. How privileged are we? 
as, as sons and daughters of the living God, to, to have these same fiery arrows hurled at us as well, coming out of hell. What a delight. What a privilege. What a glorious thing. We're not suffering because we are foolish, but because the world has seen in us the love of God and has so clearly made it known that they must hate it. Delight in your sufferings in Christ. Number four. Protect your family and train up your children. Man, this is primarily to you. Uh, don't be sniveling weak men who are actually afraid of the world. Don't be that guy in Christ. Protect your family. Yes. Also, raise up your children to be prepared to live in a world that hates them. Raise up your sons. Train them. Where the sweetness of the world is bitter to them. Raise up your boys and train them in the word and in their temperament and in their constitution to ch actually chase after the source of danger. Raise up your daughters who will so joyfully come alongside a man who is willing to forsake everything of the world, even if you idolatrously hold on to it dear, be willing to give your daughter over to such a man who will forsake the comforts of the world. Protect your family and trace your children. Number five, be a witness of Christ in the world that hates you. We have the Spirit within us who will continue to bear witness to the world around us. Now, occasionally, occasionally, the church needs to worry about a, a wolf coming in and amongst the sheep. But the world should be petrified amongst, from the sheep that go in and amongst the wolves. For the Spirit of God will work through you, proclaiming the gospel. And not one of his people for whom Christ has died will be left here. The world should be petrified of us sheep going out amongst the wolves. Number six. The greater your holiness, the more the world will hate you. Look in verse 24. Christ did all of these works that no one else had done. Greater works than Moses. Greater works than Elijah. So if you are zealously following Christ and engaging with the world, not just zealously following Christ and not engaging, but if you are zealously following Christ and engaging with the world, it's inevitable that the more you are devoted to God and the more you engage with this world, the more they will hate you. Don't be surprised. Number seven. Keep an eternal perspective. Keep an eternal perspective. 
The worst that the world can do to you, it's just temporal. How blessed would we be to have these eternal crowns with the martyrs? And we are ashamed. We're ashamed of those as we look back, you know them in your own life, as you look back and those who have forsaken the faith because of the fleeting pleasures of sin. But we must also watch out that we are not forsaking eternal glory to avoid temporal suffering of the world. So keep an eternal perspective. Number eight, consider whose hatred and scorn you want to endure. You can't avoid it. You can't escape it. You're going to be hated. You're going to be scorned by someone. Who do you want it to be? Do you want it to be the world? Or do you want it to be God? Either you can endure the wrath of the world, or you can endure the wrath of an angry God who is a consuming fire. We just sang. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. Ah. But as for me and my household, we will be hated by the world. Number nine. Two more. Hang in. You guys are doing so good. Hang in there. Two more. Number nine. Hold on to everything that you have. Everything of the world that you have, hold on to it incredibly loosely. If they want it, they can have it. Sometimes... We're tempted to go along with the world to gain what the world has. But even more, I would say, we're tempted to go along with the world to, gain, to keep what God has already given to us, things of this world. Hold on to it loosely. If they want it, they can have it. And then they won't have that lording over you to tempt you, to draw you to be back in the world. Let go of it now. You can't bring it with you. Number, number 10. Finally, take refuge in Christ and in Christ alone. McLaren writes, Whatever antagonism may storm against us and however strong and well-armed may be the assaulting legions of the world's hate, he says, whatever they might have, they cannot get you when you are hidden in Christ. They, shall, they can go after the walls of the city, but they won't take it. When you are hidden in Christ, and you will endure the hatred of the world only if you are in Christ. Let's pray. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we need eyes to see we, we still see things through the lens of Adam and Eve in the garden. And we look around and everything seems so beautiful and pleasing to the eye. But God, we ask that you would give us eyes of faith to see you in all of your glory, God. That everything of this world will fade away. And your beauty will shine ever more bright. God, let us as a church... Be courageous 
and engaging the world. Let us not shrink back one little bit. Though they hate us, God, let us pursue them doggedly with the love as we have your spirit, the counselor, now dwelling within us, God. Let us stand confidently knowing that the world can hate us, but you will conquer all things. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.